Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers and missionaries today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Brother Lyndon Shalm, the Regional Director of Asia, preaching in IBC Chapel as part of our missions conference. Missions Conference, which is led by our Missions Club, as well as the Dean of that program, Reverend Robert K. Rodenbush, is a time to focus on the mission of the church, both here in North America and also outside of North America. And representing our missions focus, we have different guests who've come in this week, Brother and Sister Poitras, Brother and Sister Hobson, and of course, Brother and Sister Shalm. Now, we are so grateful for each of these couples coming in, and all together they've been in classroom settings, question and answer settings, and have blessed us this week. But today on the podcast, we have a sermon from Brother Shalm entitled, The Blessings of the Unknown. This is a tremendous and encouraging word that blessed all of us who were there, and I know it will bless you. I can see why it is uh, considered the premier institution in many ways. The way just the way you auction things off alone is just outstanding to me, and uh, almost want to become a student just so that I can be a part of your auction. Great thing, and uh, my wife is with me, and I'm so glad about that. And I serve as the regional director for Asia. And when my wife and I were young, and we entered missions very young, and in fact, I grew up on the mission field, but when we entered missions, we uh, felt like we were full of vim and vigor and zeal and vitality, and we just thought we were, uh, of all, we were the youth in Asia. Now, that's changed a little bit, and uh, now we have become the euthanasia. with uh, our eyes set on becoming crustaceans. And so, just a little one there. We're going to go right into the word of the Lord, but I do give great honor to our administration. God richly bless each one of you. And uh, Brother Rodenbush, folks, if you don't already know it, and you happen to have icons on your iPad, uh, Brother Rodenbush would be an icon on the front page of my iPad. He is Mr. Missions. He has served in so many capacities. Brother Rodenbush, we love and appreciate you. The great job that you're doing here at IBC. And uh, for for all the others, the the great staff that are here. And, And Brother Poitras tremendous man of God who's doing so much with short-term missions. How many of you were at the uh, Global Connections? Put your hand up if you were there. You might have had other programs going, but we just completed a, a, a Global Connections with about, I don't know, 350 young people wanting to serve overseas in some capacity. Brother Bill Hobson, we love you. This man has missions at heart, whether it's home missions. He works in the office with us, and and we just have great camaraderie. We appreciate it. So God bless each one of you. I'm reading from uh, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 17 to 19. Now, I will say this. 
that uh, I was looking around for a clock here this morning. Can I say that in Pakistan, in our headquarters church, that whenever somebody had a miracle from God, for some reason, they just love to come and give a gift to the church. And guess what it was? It was usually a clock. Now, I don't know if that was a reminder or what it was, but the entire headquarters church wall was filled with clocks. And that was a huge advantage for a speaker because some of the clocks, the battery was working good, so he could easily just pass on to the the clocks where the battery was kind of half dead and uh, running a little bit slow. Some of them were already dead. One, for uh, some reason, uh, brought in a clock, and it was uh, called the Titanic. The name of the clock was Titanic. So every time we get to church, I guess we get that sinking feeling, whatever it is. I was uh, looking, looking at the walls of your wonderful chapel here, and I don't see a clock, so I am going to be watching the time from up here. But Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, although the fig tree shall not blossom... Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. Now that's not Heinz 57. That's Heinz feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. In other words, it's time to strike up the band. And so for just a few moments, I want to draw your attention to some missionary stories that have occurred in our lives. And and sometimes fact is uh, stranger than fiction. And it is absolutely astounding the things that God can do in the most difficult of circumstances. And I want to talk to you about that today, the blessings of the unknown. God bless you. You may be seated. Verse 17, which I'm moving through the scripture here very quickly at the outset. Verse 17 in the English translation, it says, shall not or some variant of that six times in the verse uh, 17. The word shall not speak about circumstances which are beyond our control. Ever had that? It speaks about an impassable road ahead. Shall not speaks about a state of nothing. It's a condition where zero is being accomplished. Shall not is where the fig tree promises, but no fruit is visible. And when there should be grapes, instead all you can see is an empty vine. Shall not is when all the work that's been done and the olives should be on the tree... But instead, you have nothing. Shall not is the time when the ground's been plowed, seed has been sown, the water has been applied, the sweat has run off the farmer's brow, and still the farmer cannot see any harvest. Shall not is the moment when every shepherd fears when suddenly his sheep are being lost one by one. Shall not is the time of desolation when not one herd, one cow in the herd is left. And shall not is when hope has gone and everything that we have put our hand to has absolutely failed. 
Verse 17 describes things that come against us. Circumstances beyond our control, the loss of all things, failure, or just simply reaching an impasse in your life or in your ministry where nothing is moving. Nowhere to go, no solution, no revival. God seems to have absented himself. I remember the uh, brother Everett Corcoran. He was the founder of the work in Pakistan. God has blessed the work in Pakistan, till, which is a Muslim nation at one time. While we were living there, it was considered the most dangerous nation on the face of the earth. We had Al-Qaeda working and building bombs all around in homes where we lived. The senior superintendent of police came and, and talked to us with eight police officers, said, you've got to build a wall around your house higher. You've got to put razor wire on it. And we never knew what was going to happen. We stopped going to church because there was a, a, a $6,000 price tag on the heads of any foreigners that they could kill. And so that was a great feeling going to church every day. But we didn't do it for our own safety. We did it for the safety of the church because they knew that a foreigner went to that church. They would just ride by on a motorbike and, and lob a grenade in and just create mayhem. Everett Corcoran was the founder of that work. And I remember he started the work by going out into the little villages and he would preach the gospel. The dust would rise up from the water buffalo as they'd come in in the evening just before the service. And Brother Corcoran told me that he would preach in those villages and he would see people receive the Holy Ghost. And then he said this. He said, there was a time, Brother Sham, that for six weeks I did not feel anything about God there was nothing about the presence of God that I could reach after or I could feel after I was performing according to the word of God I was preaching souls were getting saved but myself personally it was like I was in a dry place I could not feel God heaven was brass and this is what he said but let me tell you, there are some things, there are some answers to what we should do when it seems like God is an unknown, when we cannot understand God, when we cannot reach after God while we're yet doing his service. Verse 17 says, shall not. But verse 18 declares, I will. Verse 18 declares intention. It's a conscious decision. It makes a bold statement. It expresses a powerful attitude. I will. I will what? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, hallelujah. Do you feel that way? Praise the Lord. But verse 18 is not by itself. If verse 18 was only alone, I'm telling you what, it would be so powerful. You could, you could have a Psalm of David out of verse 18 by itself. But remember this, verse 18 follows verse 17, which declares a condition of no harvest, paints a picture of uselessness. And that is what makes verse 18 so powerful because your circumstances make you a failure yet you can still have something to say about it. Hallelujah. It does not have to impact what I'm going to do, and I am going to worship God regardless of what comes against me. Hallelujah. 
And the key is God does not change. Praise the Lord. When I'm facing bad, when I'm facing good, when I'm facing an impasse, God never changes. The clouds uh, mark the sun and hide the sun, but the sun remains intense. It is always shining. You just have to get up above the clouds. You just have to wait till the clouds dissipate and you will find the sun is there. Hallelujah. Very quickly go to verse 19. The scripture says he will. What is it? God will make our feet like hinds feet. And if you've ever seen a deer run, I watched in India as a black buck. We were chasing it in our Jeep out in the wilds. And what an experience. And Harry Sism, he had a 12-gauge shotgun. And we would be flying along over the fields in the Jeep with the top down. And uh, it was at night. And uh, we'd be doing 40 miles an hour chasing black buck. And all of a sudden, we'd come to a fence which stopped our path, but it didn't stop the path of the black buck. Without breaking stride, the most beautiful thing, it just kept going right over the fence and kept moving on. God is going to make our feet like hinds feet. Hallelujah. The places that I am looking at are down and Satan is under my feet. Why do we dance? What's the reason we dance? We dance because Satan is under our feet. Hallelujah. We do have the victory. I want to share a few stories and uh, let you know what missions is like in regards to this. Uh, one day, my brother Alan Shom and I, um, we got a call to go to a place in Pakistan where we were both missionaries. Now, we usually we went to places in the city of Lahore. There are 50 UPC churches uh, the work in Pakistan is very big. They have about 150,000 believers, maybe more. God has just done unprecedented things in that Muslim country. But we got a call, and it was to go down to a place called Chaukmunda. And uh, that place was way out in the desert. Literally, we drove down this road for five hours, and uh, we finally stayed overnight in a hotel in preparation to go in the next day for service. So as we were uh, in the hotel, we got some blocks of ice and put them in a water jug. You see, the temperature outside was blazing hot. And so uh, the next day we drove down about 10 o'clock in the morning. We didn't realize the service started until uh, 2.30. So we were sitting there in the open sun. They finally put a shade across and there was one tree in the village, one cat sitting in the tree, one lonely cat. And uh, this village was so uh, full of sand, it was about six inches deep. You couldn't ride a bicycle in it. And uh, so we parked the car, walked into the village, and, and sitting under the shade, we just sat there and talked, prayed a little bit. The temperature kept rising, kept rising and rising. And right about service time, the temperature, I had a thermometer on my watch. It was uh, 50.5 Celsius. That's about 123 degrees. And so I will say, uh, just for the record, that was the hottest service I was in. I've been in a lot of hot ones, but uh, this was really hot. And uh, the ice in that little container melted a long time ago. And by the time we started drinking that water, it was like hot like tea water. And, uh, and so we waited around for the, the service to start. Six inches of sand. Where were the villagers, uh, villagers going to come from? They were coming from 18 villages 
surrounding us. There was no path. There is no way you could determine how to get to any of those villages because the wind would just blow the sand back and forth. But somehow the villagers knew how to to move their way around. And they began gathering in and really the service began closer to four o'clock. 450 people sitting out there in that hot sun. It was so hot, my brother and I, we had told as many jokes as we could. We had swatted flies. Uh, we, had, um, we could hear the leaves in the trees crackling just from the, the heat. And so we were just waiting for the service to start, and finally they brought in a generator. And I thought, thank God, now we're going to at least get air blowing, even if it's hot air. And so when they set the generator up and started it, uh, it was for the PA system. It wasn't for the fans. And uh, we begin to understand something. These people live in this every day, 24-7. Why do they suddenly need a fan? They needed a PA system. And they begin to hook that thing up. And by then, we were exhausted. We were hot, tired. We had five hours to go back home after this. And I looked at my brother, Alan. I said, Alan, I think it's your turn to preach. And uh, he looked at me and said, well, I think I preached the last time. And uh, the, the question really is, what do you preach when it's that hot? And you've been sitting all day in that. I mean, there's no anointing. There's no air conditioning. There's no nothing. You're just there. And you're just talking to, to your, your brother. And that can be a, a drag sometimes. And so here we are, and now it's service time. They're singing some songs at about half pace because it's so hot. And finally, Alan looked at me and said, you're preaching. So I thought, what do I preach? Well, what did they preach in the book of Acts? They preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff we can preach all the time, but if you really want to get results, you got to stick around the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If somebody's never heard the gospel, you can namby-pamby them, but folks, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will cut it every time. Hallelujah. Because that is the essence of the gospel. That's where the power of God is. Don't forget it. It's not in the atmosphere. The power of God is not in the great music. The power of God is not in all the contraptions that we have around us. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to still save the lost person. It'll save a Muslim. It'll save a Buddhist. It'll save a Catholic. It'll save a Pentecostal. Hallelujah. That's the victory we have in the gospel. Oh, hallelujah. And so I preached for 12 minutes. The death, the burial, and resurrection. I was so exhausted by the heat, I called my brother up and asked him to pray. And when he began to pray, and if you've ever heard my brother pray, he knows how to get a hold of God, and he began to pray. We saw the most unusual thing happen. People, tears began to run down their face. These villagers had never heard the gospel before. And they began to weep and cry. And that day, we saw several healings. We saw several filled with the Holy Ghost. 
Now, what are we going to do about baptism? It was desert. There was sand. There wasn't any place. But here's what happened. We drove home the next day, and I got a telephone call back in the city of Lahore. It was from the lead pastor, and he said, Brother Shom, he called me Brother Lyndon Shom because there was a Brother Alan Shom. And to get the Shom Shoms straightened out, they, they said our full name. And he said, Brother Lyndon Shom, yesterday the villagers went back to their own village. And, you know, they had baptismal service in their own village. And Almighty God came upon them. And 27 were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, I did a little bit of a war hoop right there. Because when God sends you to a place that's lucrative, it's exciting. But when God sends you to nothing and there's nothing there, you don't know what's going to happen. There's an unknown. But, oh, I tell you what, if you will stick with it, if you'll keep the I will in this whole thing, then God will. Praise the Lord. Thank God for his victory. Brother Bruce Howell, uh, on our anniversary in, uh, in August, of thir- August 13, 2002, we're selling our, uh, celebrating our anniversary, and we were in Pakistan. Pakistan was under, in devastation following 9-11, and uh, there were so many dangerous threats to foreigners, and we had to stay in our compound. We had been ev- evacuated back to other countries, North America, Sri Lanka, and other countries, we, I think in our missions experience, we were evacuated about uh, seven or eight times total. And uh, so this is another one of them. We're just getting ready to have a great uh, celebration of our wedding anniversary. Email shows up at about 1046 in the morning from Brother Bruce Howell, our General Director of Global Missions, newly appointed, maybe not quite as experienced at that time. And he sends us a message, and it's a strong message that says, come home. I looked, I always look in an email to see who it's written to. It was written to Kenneth Haney, who was the superintendent at that time, and the assistant superintendents, Reverend Robert K. Rodenbush was on the board. All these distinguished people. This email from Brother Howell wasn't written to us. It was written to all of them. And uh, we were just uh, concerned because he says, I feel because of the situation and what is happening. In fact, CNN had just come into our home uh, a couple of days before and interviewed us for four hours. Why is a foreigner still living in Pakistan? And uh, so we just, uh, my, my wife, she said, well, this is our home. My daughter, she said, this is where I grew up. This is where we live. And uh, many foreigners had fled the country already. And CNN televised, why do we want to uh, still stay in Pakistan, this dangerous country? And so uh, I thought, well, you know, this is one of those, their little side stories that when they run out of uh, stuff, fresh stuff, they'll just archive this and pull it out and, and show it and so forth. That wasn't the case. Apparently it was headline news and it went around the world. And Brother Howell was in the Philippines and somebody told him about it and he saw uh, the interview with the Sham family in Pakistan. He thought, my Lord, I can't let them come home in a box. And so he just wrote us the next day an email and said, you come home. 
Well, my wife was a little bit frustrated. Um, we were just, you know, that was our home. But more than that, she loves to tinker in the garden. And Pakistan has certain seasons. And uh, one thing that it, uh, they, they cannot grow lilies there except in the early spring. But this was August. And so the temperature was blazing. It was actual, the temperature chart read 97, but it was uh, like 105. The humidity was horrible. It was very, very dry, dusty uh, conditions. And you can't grow lilies in that. And so she was feeling really bad. She actually had a little bit of a pity party. Most missionaries, if they've been on the field for a few years, they're going to have a pity party. And she had a pity party and was feeling sorry for herself because when spring was going to come around, she wasn't going to have all those flowers in her garden. And so we all went to bed that night on the 13th night. And the next morning, 14th morning, we got up. We were drinking tea in the, the living room and looked out the window. And I promise you, this is what she saw. Out in the garden, which was decimated by heat and dust, there was a lily stalk that had come up out of the ground. One lily stalk, and there were three beautiful lilies in full bloom in that garden on that day. And she looked at it, and I looked at her, and we, we said to one another, God knows where we are. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand the future. But God let, is letting us know He's always in charge. He knows exactly what's happening in our lives. I'm telling you, it's a great thing. The great God we serve. Hallelujah. I just very quickly want to share with you a story from China. In my region of Asia, there are two nations that are just astounding. They're staggering. China with a population of 1.4 billion and uh, it's very hard for us to even comprehend uh, what 100 million is, but uh, 1.4 billion. There are some provinces in China that have economies that are larger than nations of the world. And then you look at India. Uh, China is called the dragon. India is called the elephant. India is pushing 1.4 billion. It will surpass China probably in the next, by the time my American Express credit card uh, expires, India will have more people than China. And uh, the state of Uttar Pradesh in India, one state alone has 224 million people. And so it's, it's just hard to wrap my head around this. It, it stirs me every time that, that I think about this. In fact, uh, there are two sayings that have literally driven me in my missions endeavor. One of them is we talk about the second coming. Half of the world has never heard of the first coming. How many times have we heard the word of God preached. There are many people who come from a basis of no Christianity. They have no concept of Christ. No concept of sin, salvation. They only understand good works. They understand other things. The second one is, no man has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. And that propels me onwards. That forces me into a new dimension of thinking 
about what I'm supposed to do in relationship to the Great Commission and how satisfied we are just to to keep preaching and, and teaching in circles all the time when there are people that have never, ever been one time touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what happened in China. I went with our precious missionary couple, Brother Stephen O'Donnell and his wife. We flew to Beijing and we had some some meetings there. And of course, please understand that China is is completely off the map as far as um, promotion and as far as publication. We have what's called a map, Manners and Protocol. And it's an electronic version of the things that you should do and not do if you can get into China nowadays. They are under such severe quarantine and COVID restrictions and control of their people in every way. And uh, there is very, it's very, very difficult for the Chinese themselves to be able to move around in their country without quarantining, even from city to city, then they have to quarantine again. And so it is that in... Uh, Beijing, we moved to Shanghai, and from Shanghai, we flew to an internal city of Xi'an, and from Xi'an, we drove in a van that I prayed through while we were driving. Um, It was unbelievable. We spent most of our time on the opposite side of the road. The driver was absolutely crazy, and uh, we got to a city called Baoji. And Baoji is an industrial city, not a nice-looking city. We had no idea what was going to happen there. We just knew that we were going to Baoji. And we got into a little tiny hotel. Everybody in the hotel smoked. It was uh, just quite amazing. You go in the room, and it's just the the cigarette smoke was everywhere. But the pastor and his wife and their 13-year-old daughter met us. And uh, they took us to the best they could take us to. It was actually turned out to be a Muslim restaurant and curry because they knew that I like Indian food. And uh, if you're not sure about Indian food, just ask me sometime. I know, I'll tell you. And we had food, and then they did a, a really impressive thing. Took us back to the hotel, and they wanted to give us a gift. And they said, choose one of these gifts. There was a Chinese teapot, but it was in the shape of an elephant. And that became one of the three things in my home that are keepsakes. Uh, I have a, a bolt uh, off of the train of the tsunami in Sri Lanka where 1,500 souls perished off of that train. That engine of that train was a Canadian locomotive and uh, we managed to get the bolt off of that and that is framed in my house. I also have a special teacup from the tsunami that happened in Japan. When, can you believe this? You will see things uh, of destruction that happen through a tsunami and you will see things of preservation. That house was totally obliterated, but there was one cabinet standing outside of the house from that house, and it had all the dishes sitting perfectly. And I took one of those as sacredly as I could. I took one of those teacups and brought it home. So I had those three things, and the teacup, uh, the teapot that they gave me in Baoji that night, I brought it home at a church. Gave it to the pastor. I felt led of the Lord to give that to him. Said, you can auction it. And they raised $5,500 for that little teapot, which went back to China. And I thank God for that. But we were supposed to have a service. We were told they're coming by tomorrow. 
at 9 o'clock. They came by in a van, and we drove to the place where we were to have worship. We drove outside the city to a, an apartment complex. And as we got to the car, apartment complex, it was by itself. They wheeled the van right up against the door, slid the door open, and we just slid up inside the house. It was a, a home that when we got inside, the church service was supposed to start at 10 o'clock. It was now 9.30. Every chair in that house was full. Now, let me explain. They had blue plastic chairs everywhere, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the closets, in the bedrooms, on the veranda that was inside veranda, anywhere that they had space, they had chairs, 55 blue plastic chairs. And as I looked, every chair was already full. People were gathered in there 30 minutes before the service. And they were bowed over like this and they were weeping and they were crying and they were praying to God and they were saying, God, help us. God, touch us. And we began the service, 10 o'clock. They began to sing a little bit. The daughter, she had a little keyboard. It was one that would probably cost $40 in Walmart, but that's their main source of music. And she began to play that, began to sing. They sang quietly. But as the service began to progress, the worship began to deepen. Things began to heighten and they ran and closed the windows. Then they pulled the curtains and then they began to worship God. But they had come there for the preaching. And so we started to preach. Sister O'Donnell, she preached for 35 minutes and she was the one who was supposed to testify. And so she preached for 35 minutes. And then Brother O'Donnell got up and he preached for one hour. These people were glued to their little plastic chairs, just listening to the word of God. And then I guess I was the featured speaker. Wow, what else is there left to say after an hour and 30 minutes have gone by? But they wanted to hear the word of God and I preached. I will never forget at the close of the service, in China, you don't give some big, great altar call and have the musicians come and have all of the things in place and then give the swelling uh, words of invitation so that people can gently let their heart be touched and eventually move up to the front. All I said was, we are going to pray. And when we, when we begin to pray, there were two women who were dressed in their uniforms. They worked at the railway station. And uh, they were on their way to work, but they came to church first. As we began to pray, they were immediately slain out in the spirit. They just fell down on the floor, speaking in other tongues. And that began to sweep through that place. Within five minutes, everybody in that building, in every little nook and cranny of that place, sitting on those blue chairs, were weeping and speaking in other tongues. The Holy Ghost fell in that place because there was a hunger. I couldn't see what God was going to do. I didn't have a clue what God was going to do. But I tell you what, when there is an I will, hallelujah, when there's somebody who's going to say, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to seek the face of God. The Holy Ghost will be poured out. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't know what else was going to happen in that place. I thought it had happened. We were getting ready to go, and suddenly the pastor took a, almost like a Kentucky Fried Chicken paper bag, 
and he just passed it out to the congregation. And they began to move it through the, uh, the church people there. They all began to put an offering in. And I thought, well, they're taking their tithes and offerings. If they give offerings like that, they're not going to get any income tax credit. And uh, I was thinking all these wonderful American thoughts. And uh, they just passed that all around. And, and when it was done, the pastor just rolled it up. He never looked at it, never counted it. He just walked over and handed it to me. This is what he said. He said, Brother Sean, he said, I hear that there are countries where this gospel cannot be freely preached. He said, please accept this offering so that you can take it and go and help those countries where it is difficult to preach the gospel. And I'm looking at a man who is sitting in an underground church in China telling me to give this offering to somebody else and he's not even counted it and there is no tax credits going to be issued for this. When I counted it in U.S. dollars, there were 600 U.S. dollars given by those 55 people. Absolutely stirred my heart and changed my outlook. When I go to a place and I feel like it's impassable, the water is uncrossable, when it seems like it's, it's a difficult place and nothing is going to happen. I always remember times like this and it encourages my heart because when it seems like there's no grapes on the vine and when it seems like nothing is happening, I will serve God and I'm going to worship God. doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I do. You know, we get so lazy in Pentecost. If I don't catch it this service, I'll catch it the next service. We just get that little feeling about ourselves that, well, I can regulate and I can control my worship and I can do what I want. Folks, let me tell you something. There's a world out there that lives in nothingness. They have nothingness. They're in barrenness. And it's going to take somebody who says, I will choose to serve the Lord. And in doing so, God will hear you and God will move in that situation. Hallelujah. And bring revival, bring a Holy Ghost outpouring. Would you stand to your feet right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a real simple thing. I, you know, I got notes, but what are notes? We're trying to reach after what God wants to do in our generation. And I don't know if there's anybody here right now, but you're feeling what I'm feeling. And if you want to just step forward in the next few minutes, just we've only got a few minutes, but why don't you come forward and why don't you say, I will. I will choose to serve the Lord. I will choose to worship the God of my salvation. I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. I'm not going to let nothing stop me. I'm not going to let a barren harvest stop me. I'm not going to let things of this life encroach on me so that I can't stand up and do what God wants me to do. God is looking for people who are really sold out to this who really are dedicated to this, who have a hunger in your heart to go beyond what you're at right now. You may not feel God. You may not sense God. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that you choose to worship the Lord with all of your heart and to seek after him with all of your soul. God bless you. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Oh, God. Oh God, oh God.
Thank you. 